On paper, Colin Jones is a world-class elite athlete with a hugely successful athletic career and Olympic gold medals to show for it. But it's the story behind his ascent through the predominantly white sport of swimming, the personal sacrifices he endured to be at the top of his game, and the spirit of giving back that make him the focus of our Human Experience podcast. We hope you enjoy this candid journey through the life of Colin Jones, our Novant Health team member. Welcome Novant Health podcast listeners. This is Brandi Edwards and today's a special day. I get to do something a little bit out of the ordinary in the name of interviewing an Olympian. So Colin Jones, um, an Olympic medal winning swimmer, is with me today, but it's kind of special because he's also my new Novant Health team member. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Brandy. Welcome, Colin. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm excited. Can you tell? (laughs) No, no, it doesn't come off at all. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to hearing your story. I know it's about much more than swimming and I can't wait for the rest of our listeners to hear your story. So I'd love to jump in and talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. Probably the elephant in the room is that you're an African-American swimmer, and that doesn't look like the face of swimming as most people know it. So if you could tell me a little bit about swimming as you were introduced to it. Yeah, I mean, you've hit it right there on the head. Uh, Elephant in the room is a nice way of putting it. you know, in the, the black culture, I would say that there's a lot of stigma around swimming. There's the thought of black, black folks don't swim. And um, it, it's something that as African-Americans, we as a culture in America, we honestly believe it. And that's um, something that is, I think, believe, I believe generationally been just put down on us that, that in the past we've um, been told this is something we just don't do. Um, so my mom deciding that she didn't want me to grow up the way she did where not knowing how to swim not being comfortable around the water and it kind of like hindered her she wanted to give me the tools to um, thrive in that in that arena and she saw how much i loved the water she didn't want to take that away from me by scaring me about the dangers of it she wanted me to um, actually feel comfortable around the water so Mm -hmm. she got me swim lessons Mm -hmm. i will not say that it was easy i went through five different teachers Five different teachers before I felt comfortable, and I met Coach Brad. To this day, I remember Coach Brad. Coach Brad got me in the water and got me comfortable in the water again. And uh, I try to tell people, uh, kids, because there's so many kids that have these traumatic incidents. I have adults. I teach, you know, adult classes, and um, they give me so many excuses, so many reasons. But I tell them, you know, if it's not me, it's going to be somebody. But don't give up on learning. Um, it took me five different teachers. If I gave up, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, and I also had a persistent, persistent mom. <laughs> but I, I learned to swim, and uh, at the age of eight, I was like really competitive. I saw my first swim meet, and I was like, oh, I can beat that kid. I can beat that kid. And my mom was like, you want to try this? And I was like, yeah, I'll try swimming. She got me, in the, she got me on the team the next day. So the bug began competitively at the age of eight. I was eight. And I was how, eight. how did that progress into the Colin Jones we know now? What, wow. what was that journey from eight to maybe your first Olympics? So, oh wow, that's a long story, well, but we have time. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, so at, at the age of eight, um, 
I saw my first one meet. I was like, this is what I want to do. I told my mom, this is it. And uh, I was doing gymnastics at the time, which for all those that watch gymnastics at the Olympics, being 6'5 and scraping your feet on the uneven bars does not get you points. I was going to ask how that worked <laughs> so out. So <laughs> they were like, yeah, maybe this isn't for you. So they pulled me out of gymnastics, and I was playing basketball. My dad wanted me to be a basketball player. Um, he was being drafted by the Knicks. He wanted to um, oh, well, scouted by a couple people there, but um, ended up not doing it. I was not the reason, but <laughs> he ended up not doing it. And so he wanted his son to follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. So I could bounce a ball before I could probably pick up a fork. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basketball was always a part of my life. Swimming, um, I think he thought it was gonna, just going to be like a hobby. And he knew how to swim. So I think it was for him, it was like, oh, this is going to build his confidence after what happened. So mm-hmm. we're going to keep pushing him to the swim. And mm-hmm. we'll put him on the, in the team, sure. He thought it was a fad. I think mm-hmm. he did think it was a fad. Um, and as I continued to swim, I wasn't very good. I got the pink and the purple ribbon. You know, that's sixth and seventh place. Uh, so he really thought it was a fad. I was not Michael Phelps. I was not, you know, gifted from the age, the age of birth. No, I had to work hard to get better at swimming. Right. Um, so, and I think that's what I liked about it. I liked that it was challenging. I liked that it wasn't something that came easy. Basketball kind of came easy to me because my, I've been doing it for so long. My mm-hmm. dad was coaching me. Um, but I love swimming. I love the friends that I was making because I was around other, as an only child, mm-hmm. my relationship with my friends was the most important thing to me. So being on deck, being um, with my friends was very important. Now that being said, my friends that didn't swim were like, oh, what are you doing? You're doing that thing, you're just swimming. Oh, you're wearing, you're wearing those, little, those little things, <laughs> little, those speedos. Yeah, I wear those. But see, the first day I went to practice, I was even nervous because this is my first time actually wearing Speedos. And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. What is this that I am wearing that I need to walk out in front of people wearing? And immediately, once I saw everyone else wearing it, I felt better. I felt more confident. I felt uh, it didn't bother me as much, just Mm -hmm. put it that way. Um, But outside of it, um, to this day, I will not like go to the beach and wear speedos. Like it's not gonna, it's not happening. It's not gonna go down. <laughs> I'm wearing board no, shorts or something. Fast at the beach. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I, I don't wear speedos there. Um, but I, I felt comfortable because everyone else was feeling com- was wearing the same thing. And um, I was blessed enough to be on a team that was very diverse in Newark, New Jersey. Um, so I think on my team there were only two swimmers that were white. And then, right, so it was very, very diverse. There were probably, uh, I want to say, 20 of us, and the majority were um, African American and Latino. So, so Colin, let's let's pause there and talk to me a little bit about what what impact that had on you um, for the team that you're a part of to look like you and not necessarily be the um, the way the sport of swimming looks outside of the team you were absolutely um you know it was it was a double-edged sword um so on the side of introduction to the sport i don't know i would if i would have continued doing what i was doing if it wasn't for the fact that everyone that i was swimming with looked a little bit like me because in the 90s this was this was uncharted ground Mm -hmm. especially for my parents my Mm -hmm. parents were like very progressive in the sense of putting me in a sport that no one looked like us. And at the same time, having to deal with 
I don't think they realized how much we were going to have to deal in the future with that when it came to race. Why um, do you think diversity, inclusion, and equity in that sense were so important to your parents to expose right. you to? I think that before I say anything else, I think that for a lot of people, and I think a lot of businesses are starting to understand the difference now. When you say diversity, you're talking about diverse group of people, but the inclusion side is having a voice at the table. And I think when, when we talk about swimming, um, it is becoming more diverse. I think swimming has always been diverse. I think that there have always been these little pockets of teams of African Americans and Latino swimmers that are, are, they swim. And this is why I say it's a double-edged sword. The other side of that sword is that they only race each other and they're not at the big meets. They're not learning that this is, there's, there's a bigger world out there. Um, they're just, you know, king or queen of this little pond, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's, that's the difference. And the inclusion side of it, I think in the last 20 years, we've seen great strides in the inclusion piece. Um, and a lot of it is because you have Olympians like Maritza Karaya, myself, um, uh, uh, Simone Manuel, Leah Neal, and, and people of color being able to push through and people see it on television. Mm -hmm. um, but back then, you know, swimmers like Byron Davis and Sabir Muhammad, and I know none of you know these names and that's okay. <laughs> but, we'll but, we'll but we'll, yeah, Google Google's, uh, is, is an amazing um, platform, but, but these names, they didn't have people to look that looked like them swimming. Um, and so for me, my dad was like, Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Like that's what an athlete is. You, that's, that's the epitome of an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, so even though I was swimming, I would come home and my dad and I, oh God, I grew up in Jersey, New York, y'all. You have to forgive me. I'm a Knicks fan. I know it's hard. It's hard, but you know what? I am not a bandwagon. I'm sticking with my Knicks. Um, but I, I grew up in the in the golden era. John Starks, Patrick Ewing, and I mean, I would come home, and we would watch as Jordan would always put up 55 points against the Knicks. I don't know why it was us, but he would always do that. But my dad would always look at them and say, like, "Wow, that's an athlete. He puts the whole team on his back. He thinks about the team more than he thinks about himself. He passes the ball more than." anyone else on the court that doesn't happen anymore but he passes <laughs> the ball more than anybody else in the court to make the points for the team that's what an athlete looked like for me now when you look at the grand scheme of what swimming does is it's a small large sport in the sense that a lot of swimmers have can have access to big name Olympians what they come to do clinics they come to do these different things with their teams I never had that and when I did have it it was someone who didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. So I self-identified through other sports, even though I was doing my sport. So as you prepared for your first Olympics, mm -hmm. what was that like for you mentally? Mm -hmm. And what is the, the position of your coach and your loved ones in supporting you as you prepare for probably the grandest experience yeah. that you'll have competitively. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to make some amazing friends through the Olympics, um, but it was a conversation I had at an event in Chicago, um, and I was there with Dwayne Wade, and he 
kind of, I don't know that he would even remember that he said this to me, but he said, you know, once you're launched into, this is right after 2008, and my, my life completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, once you're launched into the spotlight, you have to realize that the people around you, some of them can be toxic, some of them can be great, and you have to manage and put people in categories. And then he walked off. <laughs> but it was like one of those things like, and scene. Um, no, he, he, I mean, uh, really good, great guy. And I mean, I, I think he's just one of those guys that just has like just a immense amount of knowledge. And we were talking, he said that to me. And I was just like, wow, like, yeah, you're right. And to speak to what you were saying before um, the 2008 Olympics, I was training at NC State under my coach. And I love my coach dearly. But I just felt like I wasn't ready. I felt like I needed to make some kind of a change because I was doing the workouts that he had, doing well, but I just didn't feel like I was prepared enough to make my first Olympic team. And so um, trials are June 24th, basically every year, June 24th, um, every four years, obviously. But... um, and this was March, end of March. And I'm like, I something's gotta change. Something has to change. So I called our national director for USA Swimming and I said, I don't know what to do, I gotta do something. And he said, go to Charlotte. And I was like, well, go to Charlotte? Like, why? David Marsh is in Charlotte. David Marsh is, um, well, is it the year prior, the, the head coach of Auburn University, and out of the, I think the 13 years that he was there, he had 11 national championships, something ridiculous like that. And he's, he's just a pillar when it comes to um, advanced swimming and being at the highest level. And so and it's funny because while I was swimming in college, I was the only person from NC State at the time going to um, NCAAs and David I would race against the swimmers and it was always a head-to-head with it was me it's from the small school mm-hmm. against Auburn who's the, the team that's always winning and he would come up to me and go next year really work on your kick you need to work on your kick and then walk off he would really walk off because <laughs> I, mean, I think he was like I'm not supposed to tell this kid right. this you need to work on your hand position your hand positions something. here but and, but he saw something in me and you know, for, for it, I mean, it panned out because I later trained with him for 11 years. Mm-hmm. I stayed in Charlotte for 11 years with him. But at the time, I was like, yeah, you know, he gave me so many, you know, things to work on every year. And I would always go back and I got better and better and better. And I won NCAAs my senior year, I would say largely in part, not only from the coaching that I had at NC State, but the little tidbits that he also gave me. I was like, all right. He's like, go there, train with him. I, Brandy, I packed my stuff up that night and I was in a car and probably the not the, the best thing to do, I called my coach as I was driving to Charlotte saying, listen, I need to make a change. I'm on my way to Charlotte. Moved to Charlotte, stayed with my cousin who was oddly in Charlotte at the time. My cousin from Jersey was in Charlotte living here. Moved in with him for the first like month and just continued to train and David put me on this like accelerated plan because he's like, we've got two months. We've got to get you ready. And he, he agreed when he saw me. He goes, you're not ready. 
And it's hard two months before a trials to hear a coach say, you're not ready. I'm like, okay. I made every practice. He beat me up so bad at practice. I would come home and I couldn't lift the glass. Like, it, my arms were just so tired. I just couldn't do it. He's like, I can't give you a full taper. Taper, for all the listeners, is when we start to come off of all of the heavy work that we do. Think of a baseball player with a, with a weighted bat. Taper is when you take the weight off mm -hmm, and you swing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so we start to kind of get into this range of resting to get ready to, to, to race optimally. And he was like, you know, most of the time for me, it was like a month. He's like, you get two weeks. I was like, well, what? Two weeks of rest? Two weeks. Okay, fine. Didn't argue. Went to the trials. Um, feeling pretty good. And I got third in the 100 freestyle, which is an event that I do not like to do because it's too far for me. <laughs> I let Phelps swim all those long stuff and Lochte swim all that long stuff. I like the 50 the 100 quick. But the, the 100 is still a little too long. I like the 50. I swim the 50. Uh, I set... Uh, the American record. So and, tell me the yeah. significance of that. I'm the first African American to set an American record at that point. So what does that do for you mentally? Mentally? You're in this precarious position. Right. You've just moved here, had an interesting, you know, conversation yeah. with your coach of a long time. Yeah. And you're putting in all this work, not sure where the light is, mm -hmm. if it even is at the end of the tunnel. Right. And you come out and you set a record. Right. Well, historically. To, to, to put it in a little bit more of a timeline, I swam the 100 free first. So I swam my longer event first. And so, yes, I was proficient at it. Yes, I was good at it. Yes, I was on the relay in 2006 to set a, a world record. Now we're in 2008, and I have to swim it again, and everyone's expecting me to be top four, maybe even win, because I was on a world record relay two years prior. So there's a little bit of pressure there. And again, like I said, my coach two months before said I wasn't ready, but when he saw me, he was like, you got this. And he believed in me. He told me, he's like, you got this. And me hearing him say that, knowing his accolades, I knew I could swim through a wall. I felt great. So I swam my 100 free prelims. I was like <laughs> top 16. Then they take top eight, and I was like 15. And then I swam, I swam the semifinals, and I got seventh. So I was in the outside lane, and I ended up getting third. And I got up, and I was so excited. I was so excited that I actually did it, because I was like, this is if I can swim my 100 free, my 50 free's got to be great. And the thing is, is that everyone knew me as a 50 freestyler, so they were like, oh man, Colin's gonna go off if he swam that fast in the 100. So the next day I go in and I swim the 50, and I get the American record, and the place is going nuts. And I'm so focused on making the team the 50, they're interviewing me, and I'm like, yeah, it's great, it's great, but I gotta get this next one. Oh yeah, it's great, it's great, but I gotta get this next one. Being the first African American to have a, uh, have a, a American record at that point was not something that was just in my mind. I was so focused on the next thing I had to do. It, it didn't even, not that it didn't dawn on me, I, like I knew, but right. it, was, it wasn't important at the time. It was more important that I get on this team. What does that mean to you today? Um, it means 
that I get to travel around the world and talk to kids and teach kids. Okay, I've saved the best for last. Okay. <laughs> Tell me why Novant Health? Ah, why Novant Health? Of course, best for last. Um, I love aubergine. <laughs> That's a good start. That's a good start. That's a good start, right? Good no, start. no. So um, while I was in Charlotte, when I came to, to Charlotte, um, I started swimming with Swimac. And I had no idea that Novant and Swimac had such a great relationship. And um, I would swim in the uptown pool, and we have a banner, a Novant banner that was there. And I would swim by it every single day. So I always say that it was like subliminal messaging. I would always see it while I was swimming. Um, but I was looking for, um, my story is actually very interesting of how I ended up in Novant. Be beyond knowing that Novant was synonymous with Charlotte in my head because of Swimac. Um, we did rounding a couple of times as, as Olympians while we went through the peds. Um, in the, the Pete Center, um, going by, talking to the kids. And so I, I just always equated Novant with Charlotte. Um, and then Exos was actually the way that I got into uh, the role that I'm in now is that um, the CEO of Exos and Speedo, the company that I was working for at the time, they partnered and um, met him wonderful guy um, contacted him and I'm like I'm in Charlotte you know I really am just trying to figure out something that I can do there I wake up every morning and I'm excited about what I'm doing and he's like well you know you should go check out our Exos um, our Novant powered by Exos okay cool and went over there met um, I'm gonna give Beth Parsons a shout out and she just got me She's in touch yeah, Beth got me in touch with um, Brian Edwards of orthopedic and Zach Landry and the two of them said to me, they were like, you've got to work with the foundation. And I will be honest, you know, the, the foundation that I worked with with USA Swimming was very hit or miss, but at the same time, what we were doing was what I, what I loved. Um, so I was like, I don't know, this, they work the same way. And then I got to meet everyone at the foundation and then I absolutely love it. Um, and every day that I wake up, if I ever need a reason to work, reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm trying to raise funds, why I'm trying to, being on the call with trying to find donors, all I have to do is round once and see the patients, especially when you go through Pete's. Uh, you go through the kids center, it's like, okay, all right, I gotta work harder. Um, and I, I think that's what I what I loved about it. But but Novant was synonymous with, with Charlotte for me. Um, and being here, I, I knew that that was it, I just watched the path kind of fall in front of me, and I wear Team USA, but now I wear Team Aubergine. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Colin, thank you so much Brandy, for sharing thank you for your story. This Thanks for letting me take over. This is a takeover. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Was, was, that the, was that the line? Um, that was the line. I'm sorry, folks. That was the line. We're going to go back to work now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got to go back. No, this has been awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank and you for we're so me. excited to have you at Novant Health. Welcome to the team. Thank you. What a great story. I hope you enjoyed this behind the scenes look at what it took for Colin to carve out his place in history, but more importantly, what it requires to make an impact that will last just as long.
Thanks to Colin Jones for sharing and thank you for listening. For those Novot Health team members that run into Colin when he's rounding, he wanted you to know it's okay to say hi. He's anxious to meet you and make connections in his new home at Novant Health. This is the Novant Health Human Experience, and we hope you remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this and all of the other Novant Health podcasts. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you choose to listen. Until next time, this is Brandy Edwards signing off.